Thank God for prayer. Thank God for prayer. And if you've got your notes and you're going to follow along this morning, I have your first fill-in-the-blank right away. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus opened access to the presence of God. Jesus opened access to the presence of God. We have the privilege of direct communication with God. Wow. We don't have to take a, a pilgrimage to a foreign holy site to be in the presence of God. We don't have to do a series of rituals in front of an idol to be in the presence of God. Wherever and whenever you want, you can be in the presence of God, in the presence of your heavenly Father, and have a confidence that he's listening. You can go into the presence of God at your house, at your workplace, in your car. The only request that all of us have for you is that if you choose to go into the presence of God and you're driving your car, please do that with your eyes open. <laughs> the author of Hebrews puts it this way, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. And so, dear brothers and sisters, that's us now, speaking to us. So, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Prayer. This incredible privilege made possible by Jesus. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. Jesus opened a new and life-giving way. Let us go right into the presence of God. We don't have to sit in the lobby and wait for our turn. We don't have to wait on hold for the next available customer service representative. We don't have to open up the app and search for the next available appointment during regular business hours. Prayer. Prayer puts us right into the presence of God. This month we've been in this great teaching series, Prayer That Moves Mountains. And for me, and I believe for many of you, through being under pastor's leadership, listening to this, these messages, we have received powerful, practical instructions on prayer that I've been able to put into practice, and I believe many of you have put into practice, and it has increased, improved my time spent one-on-one -on -one with God. And if you've missed any of the messages, morning or night, during the Prayer That Moves Mountains series, I encourage you to go back and watch or re-listen, listen for the first time, so you get all of this great teaching. Man, preaching on a Sunday at People's Church, this is a big deal. This message series is inspired by the incredible promise from Jesus. Mark chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. 
you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. Now, when Jesus said this for the first time, there would have been mountains on the landscape, and so he could have pointed to a mountain, much like we could have, he could have been standing in Oregon and pointing at one of our beautiful mountains here. We have some great mountains in Oregon. We didn't have mountains in Wisconsin. Landing at PDX, if you come in just the right way, you fly, I believe it's Mount Hood that you'd see off the left side of the plane as you come in for a landing. Am I right there? You gotta help me out, we're new here. And sometimes you're landing and it's so close, you feel like you could reach out and you could touch the mountain. Beautiful mountain, majestic. Jesus is not encouraging us to devote our prayer life for the moving of actual mountains. Like, Father, please, Mount Hood is so beautiful. Could you move it just a few miles to the south so we could see it better from Salem? He's not asking us to spend our time praying for the movement of actual mountains. We get this. The mountain is an illustration for what? Situations that seem impossible. Because standing at the foothills of the mountains in Jerusalem or standing at the base of Mount Hood, we could look at that mountain and say, it would be impossible for that mountain to move. Jesus uses this illustration because you and I, we can see challenges in our life as unmovable mountains. There's been a medical diagnosis. There's a financial crisis. Maybe there's a severed relationship between you and your spouse, between you and a parent, between you and a child, between you and a friend, brother, sister, friend. There's an addiction. Maybe it's an emotional stronghold. No one else sees it, but you live with constant guilt, regret, fear, or even shame. Maybe it's not something that's personal. Maybe it's you see something that's happening in our region, in our nation, or somewhere on this planet. The wildfires, the COVID-19 pandemic, the political tension, human trafficking, and you see that situation and it feels like a mountain. That's the way it is and it's never gonna change. <laughs> Some of us, most of us, I'm actually gonna say probably all of us, we are very good at coming up with all the reasons why the mountain can't move. If you were to tell me the impossible situation, what feels impossible in your life, you could tell me all the reasons why that mountain can't move. Health is not going to improve because of what the doctor said or because of what I read on WebMD. My finances, it's impossible for them to get better because I look at what I owe and I look at what I earn and the math, there's no way the math works out. I'm never gonna get promoted because I've always been overlooked and underappreciated. And no matter what I do, it's impossible for that to change. Maybe you'd say, I've tried this, whatever this is before, and what happened was the odds are insurmountable, the barriers are too high, the burden is too great. Jesus points us to a God who is greater than any obstacle. Jesus points us to a God who is greater than any barrier. 
And Jesus points us to a heavenly father who is superior to any burden we might be carrying. Jesus injects hope into impossible situations. Jesus injects hope into impossible situations. He says, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. This is so good. Jesus doesn't say, we're just going to nudge that mountain a little bit. We're going to make things a little better. We're not just going to nudge the mountain. Jesus says, you can say to that mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, never to return again. As Jesus encourages us to bring our mountain-moving prayers to God, he also tells us that there are things that can be happening in our life that can hinder or block our mountain-moving prayer request. Now, here's what I know about you, know about me. When you and I, when we have a mountain-moving prayer request, and some of you have one today, it's our desire that there would be nothing that would be happening in our life that would get in the way of God moving. You and I, we want nothing to be happening in our life that would hinder or block our mountain-moving prayers. So here's what I'm going to offer you today. We're going to look at two things that Jesus says might be happening in our life that can hinder or block our mountain-moving prayer. Jesus has this conversation with his disciples after the triumphal entry. So we know after the triumphal entry, it's just days before Jesus Christ would go to the cross. His time on earth, walking with his disciples, walking with his followers, was now going to be measured in days or even hours. And Jesus knew this. And if you knew, if you knew that your time remaining on this planet would only be measured in days or hours, you would invest very carefully who you spoke to and what you taught them. You'd only be communicating what's most important if you only had hours or days left. And so this teaching from Jesus comes as part of the last things that he would ever teach his disciples. Let's look at it again. Mark chapter 11, verses 22 and 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. So we see in there, we see where Jesus gives us the mountain-moving prayer promise. Now, pay attention to what Jesus says right before that and right after. Before Jesus gives us this mountain-moving prayer promise, what does he say? Four words there. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. And then right after the mountain-moving prayer promise, what does he say? But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. It's like a sandwich. That mountain-moving prayer promise is in the middle. On top is faith in God, and underneath it is having no doubt and full belief that it's going to happen. I said the word sandwich and I lost some of you because you've started thinking about lunch. Come back. Come back. Let's talk about faith. Faith is 
future. It's forward-looking. Faith is a confidence that God is at work in the present with a future outcome in mind. Faith is confidence that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Faith is a confidence that God is fully capable of shaping the outcome. Faith is a confidence that God listens when you pray. Faith is confidence that if God can create and sustain the universe, he can work in your situation. Faith is confidence that God is going to provide for his purposes and he's going to supply what you need to carry out his plan for your life. Faith is a confidence that if God made you, that he can heal you. Jesus sets up the mountain-moving prayer by saying, have faith in God. So if faith is essential to mountain-moving prayer, then lacking faith in God blocks mountain-moving prayer. Really believe and have no doubt, Jesus says. This is a standard that Jesus wants us to strive for. Really believe and have zero doubt. I don't know about for you, but for me, this does not feel like one and done. A place of no doubt, that is something to strive for throughout our lifetime, to reach a place where we have zero doubt. It is easy to understand but like so many of Jesus' teaching, easy to understand, difficult to live out. Here are some examples of how lacking faith, doubting, and not really believing can manifest in our lives. It's thinking or saying things out loud like, God is unaware, God doesn't care, this is too big for God, this is too small for God, God's not listening, the outcome has already been determined, so it doesn't matter if I pray or if I don't pray. Well, here's what I'm here to tell you, my friends, God is aware. God does care. It's not too big for God. It's not too small for God. And he is listening. Now, you're smart. You already know this. God is not a cosmic concierge waiting to meet our every need and like a, a butler. God's not a genie waiting to grant our wishes God does not exist to carry out our purposes. God created us to carry out his purposes. If you're with me, it's okay to talk to me. We live our best life when God's purposes are aligned with our purposes. We live our best life when our purposes are aligned with our, when God's purposes are aligned with our purposes. Now, if you are a, a, a parent or grandparent, you already have a deep understanding of this concept. You would say that your children's best life is lived when their purposes are aligned with your purposes. Consider this hypothetical situation. And when I start to describe it to you, it will feel very hypothetical. Imagine a, a girl, little girl, maybe third or fourth grade, comes to mom. And she says, Mom, I have some desires in my heart that I would love to share with you. And I would love for you to help make these things become reality. The mother stops what she's doing and she says, I would love to hear the desires of your heart. Remember, parents' desires align with kids' desires. And the little girl says, 
Mom, after this dinner is finished that you have prepared, it is my desire that I would put away all of the dishes and that I would go and get a soapy cloth from the sink and wipe off the table. And then, Mom, it is my desire that I would go and do my homework without complaining, and I would do that homework with excellence. And because I know, Mom, the value of a clean room, when I'm finished with my homework, it is my desire, Mom, that I would put away all the toys in my room, and because you taught me how to use the vacuum, that I would vacuum the carpet in my bedroom. And Mom, because I understand the value of rest, it is my desire that I would go to bed at the time that you feel is best for me to get the most sleep. The mom would say, I will give you whatever you need to make all of that happen. <laughs> the parents' purposes in that sweet moment are fully aligned with the child's purposes. We live our best life when our purposes are aligned with that of our Heavenly Father. Remember, Jesus said this, so if you sinful people, talking about us, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? As parents, we decipher good and bad requests. We separate for our children the helpful from the hurtful. We separate our children's requests from that which is beneficial, and that's what... what What's detrimental? We see a picture that's bigger than our, our kids see. And our Heavenly Father is the same way. He sees a much bigger picture than you and I see. So maybe for you it's a prayer something like this. Father, you know what I'm going through right now, and to me in this moment it feels terrible. But I trust that you have good in mind because you are a good God and you see the big picture. Jesus says, start with faith, bring your mountain-moving prayers to God, and then watch what Jesus says next. Mark chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first, 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 Forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your, your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. You can ask God about anything. You can bring anything to him. And he's ready to listen. And he's ready to act on your behalf. But first, Jesus challenges us to forgive others because we have first been forgiven. Jesus raises this issue of sin. And sin or rebellion or doing things, acting in ways, thinking things that are against God, sin can get in the way of our mountain-moving prayer requests. Sin is a barrier to mountain-moving prayer. Consider the husband who is praying for a better marriage, but at the same time, he's secretly texting other women or looking at things that he shouldn't be looking at on his phone. Consider the employee praying for a mountain-moving promotion, but at the same time, that employee is cheating on their time card or stealing office supplies. 
Consider the student praying for favor with getting into that one college, but at the same time that that mountain-moving prayer request is happening, the student is plagiarizing term papers. It's possible that God is not moving the mountain that you're praying for at work because there's a dishonoring of the marriage at home. When we have unrepentant sin, God is reluctant to get in there and move the mountains. And that's not my thought. That's what Jesus is talking about. The good news, this is the good news, is that if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And then like Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Before you get to the mountain-moving prayer request, have faith and forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against. Unforgiveness hinders mountain-moving prayer. Unforgiveness hinders mountain-moving prayer. God loved you so much, he sent his son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin, the undeserved, unearned forgiveness of your sin. And so Jesus' desire is that because you have received unearned, undeserved forgiveness, that you would then turn around and show undeserved, unearned forgiveness to someone in your life. Forgive your husband or your wife, even though they don't deserve it. Forgive your friend who borrowed that thing that one time and never brought it back. Forgive them, even though they don't deserve it. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean that everything has to go back to the way it was. Here's an example. Say you loan a car to a friend. And because of their carelessness, because of their negligence, they run the car into a mailbox and thank God everyone's okay. But they should have known better. They didn't take care of your car the way that they should have and now it's wrecked. You can forgive them for ruining your car, but that doesn't mean that you have to let them borrow the car again. Car uh, Forgiveness simply says you no longer owe me for that hurt in the past. You no longer owe me for that hurt in the past. And there are, are some of us in this room that are possibly holding on to a grudge for something that someone did a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, or 50 years ago. They don't even know that they hurt you in that way. In fact, they don't even remember what they did. And you have been holding this grudge against them for all this time. And if you believe what Jesus says, and I do, and I think many of you do too, if we believe what Jesus says here, it's possible that that grudge that we're holding for something that happened decades ago is hindering our mountain-moving prayer request today. Jesus says, have faith in God. That's a, a vertical relationship. Have faith in God. Then he gives us the mountain-moving prayer promise, and then he talks about our horizontal relationships. And he says, because you've received forgiveness in the vertical, show forgiveness in the horizontal. And then Jesus says, if there's garbage in the horizontal, if there's unforgiveness in the horizontal, that's actually going to hinder the vertical. So if you want the most out of the vertical, bring forgiveness to the horizontal. Let me ask you a question to wrestle with as we get ready to close this morning. It's a question, whenever I ask us a question to wrestle with, I, I'm asking myself to wrestle with the same question. Is it possible? Is it possible that you or I in any way are holding a grudge, not just against another person, but against God? 
Are you harboring a persistent resentment towards your heavenly father because of a past situation that did not go your way? There are times in life when we do not get the outcome we desire. It may be a situation where you believe you did everything biblically. Your motives were not selfish. You prayed. Your friends prayed. You read what the Bible had to say about what you're going through. Your prayer was in sync with Scripture. You pressed forward in faith, believing at the right time, God's perfect time, you were going to see the outcome you desired. But after all that, the outcome did not go your way. You prayed for a friend with a terrible illness, and they never got better. You prayed for the marriage, and it still ended in divorce. You prayed that God would protect your home, and you watched him miraculously protect homes around you, yet your home was still destroyed by the wildfire. You prayed for a political decision or a candidate, and the political decision or the election went against what you believe is the biblical or moral position. Maybe it's that you prayed over someone who went off to serve in the armed forces or on the front lines of law enforcement, and they didn't come home. Discouraging. Maybe even devastating. There is a real-life spiritual enemy and a kingdom of darkness operating in this world, always working in the shadows, always deceiving. And Satan claims a win every time a believer blames God. Satan claims a win every time a believer holds a grudge against God. I know that some of you have been through some very difficult times, painful times. Maybe you didn't get the outcome you desired. But in some strange way, and it may not make sense to your friends, may not make sense to your family, but you would say that looking back, you're actually thankful for the suffering that you went through. You're thankful that God brought you through that painful situation. And I see some of you nodding because you know this. You would say that you are better today. You are in a deeper relationship with God. You have a stronger faith because he saw you through the trial. He saw you through the pain. He saw you through the suffering. And so for maybe, maybe for you today, it's a prayer, something like, God, you know the awful thing that's happening or happened to me, my family, my, my friend, my city, my country. God, you know the impact. Forgive me, Father, for blaming you and allowing bitterness to separate me from you. I trust that somehow you will turn what the enemy meant for good and you will use it. You will turn what the enemy meant for evil and use it for good. Even if you have to move a mountain to do that because you are a mountain-moving God. Let's look at this verse one more time that we've been centered on today. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Mark chapter 11, verses 22 and 23, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen, but you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. This may be helpful for you to jot this down in your notes or to put it in your, the notes app in your phone. To take this verse and since Jesus was using this verse to teach us about situations that feel impossible, to remove the word mountain there and to write in there the impossible situation or the situation that feels impossible. And then 
take out the portion that says, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and replace that with the biblical God-centered outcome that you're seeking and start to pray. You can say to cancer, be removed from my body and it will happen. You can say to debt, balance be reduced to zero and it will happen. You can say to a separated marriage, be reconciled and it will happen. You can say to wildfires, cease and it will happen. You can say about that spiritually lost friend, be reconciled to Christ and it will happen. If God can establish the universe and sustain the universe, he is fully capable of working in your situation. And it's almost like this automatic reaction that we have. And if you've overcome this automatic reaction, man, you are in a, you're in a good place. Because for, for many of us, we'd say the automatic reaction is, well, what if it doesn't work out? It seems too big, too impossible. Why should I even pray? The outcome is already determined. There's no way. I think that far too often we surrender to the mountain. We say the mountain's too heavy, it's too big, it's too powerful. There's no way that that mountain could ever be moved. The mountain representing your impossible situation. You know what the word surrender means? It means to stop resisting and to submit to the authority. And some of us have made the authority the mountain and we submit to the mountain. As long as there is a thread of hope, as long as there is a thread of hope, instead of surrendering to the mountain, what if we were to surrender to the mountain moving God? Are you with me, church? Instead of surrendering to the mountain, what if we were to surrender to the mountain moving God? I'm gonna invite you, if you're able, to stand with me for just a moment. You know, I was thinking about the story, maybe you've read this to your kids or grandkids or you remember it being read to you when you were a child. The story of the little engine that could. What does the little engine that could say? I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Great story, great message. But some of you, some of us have become exhausted. We have become burnt out. We have become tired trying to do this under our own strength, trying to defeat the mountain under our own power. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. What if we were to instead say, I know he can. I know he can. I know my father in heaven that he is fully capable of working in whatever situation I bring to him. May I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads right where you are this morning. I've been watching your faces. And I know some of you are joining us by screen. I can't see you, but God can see you. I know I can see it, that some of you are thinking about what's been a mountain in your life, a situation that feels impossible. And God knows what that is on your heart today. Maybe something personal, maybe something national, global, whatever it is. 
If you have a mountain-moving prayer that's on your heart, just lift up your hand right now. Yeah. So many of us, we have mountain-moving prayer requests. Let me also ask you this. By raising your hand, how many of you would say that you have seen God answer a mountain-moving prayer? Hallelujah, hands are going up all over this place. Do you know that many of us would say that the fact that we're Christians today, you can put your hands down. Many of us would say the fact that we're Christians today is an answer to a mountain-moving prayer request. We would look at a point in our own personal history, and if, if someone had told us then, someday you're going to be a Christian, you would have said, there's no way. In fact, a mountain would have to move for that to happen. And what did God do? He came after you with his Holy Spirit. That mountain moved. And here you are today, worshiping the one true God, thanking him for sending his son, Jesus Christ, to be your Savior. So I have one more question. And I believe this is going to be a big moment for someone in this room this morning. Church, pray with me. If you are here today, I don't believe you're here by accident. I believe you're here on purpose and for a purpose. And maybe it took a mountain to get you here to church today, but you accepted an invitation and you came. If you're here today and you know that today is the day that you need to make a first-time commitment or recommitment to your Lord Jesus Christ, that today is the day of salvation for you. Today is the day that you no longer want to live on the run from God. Today is the day that you want to draw a line in the stand, sand, turn around, stop running from him, and start running toward him. If today is the day that you want to give your life to Christ, right where you are, would you lift up a hand and look at me? Thank you down here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you in the back. Who else? How many more? Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Hands are going up all over this room. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. You can put your hands down. Church, we're going to come alongside these friends on this history-making day for them. If you made a decision for Christ today, simply what you need to do right now have a conversation not with me or the person next to you, but with God, and confidently say out loud right now, Father in heaven, that's right, Father in heaven, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, forgive me for all the time that I have spent on the run from you. Father, forgive me for all the times that I have acted against you and your ways, even though I know deep down in my heart I was sinning. I went ahead and did it anyway. Even though friends affirmed my behavior, I knew it was sin. And now, Father, I know that it was your Holy Spirit that was doing that in my life. Tell God right now that today is the day that you receive his son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. Declare Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. Thank God for sending his son. And right now, tell your Heavenly Father that today you are making a commitment to live the rest of your life striving to be more like Jesus tomorrow than you are today.